Hello and welcome to the Feck It Fun Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. I'm Helly and I'm here to provide regular bursts of information and inspiration, some neuroscience applicable to eating disorder recovery, perhaps a few rants, but otherwise lots of positivity with a bit of a Feck It attitude, some fun and a sprinkling of fabulousness to help everyone find freedom in recovery. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Feck It Fun, Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast with me, Helly. I'm here talking to you about restrictive eating disorders and how to bash them out of your life. And I'm really hoping that you are finding a little bit of positivity in your day to day, whatever that might be, because every day I'm sure there's something positive you can find, even if you're feeling a bit emotionally drained or a little bit down because of the eating disorder or because you've been bashing at it really hard and that is emotionally and mentally very exhausting at times. But stay focused on the positives, stay focused on what life is all about and that you can be free of this eating disorder. And today's episode is a topic that I've been meaning to make an episode about for a little while now and I'm finally getting around to it. And that is to discuss the fact that restrictive eating disorders do not have a size. So perhaps the biggest and most damaging stereotype about restrictive eating disorders and about anorexia is that they have a look. And people with restrictive eating disorders are stereotypically thought of as being emaciated, alongside, of course, the stereotypes of them being female, young, and white middle class, of course. So this episode is here for any of you who don't fit the size stereotype, or who don't fit any of the stereotypes for that matter, and for any of you who have a restrictive eating disorder in a bigger body. And you know what? There are going to be more of you listening to this right now who are in just that situation of having a restrictive eating disorder in what might be considered a bigger body than those of you listening right now who do fit the stereotype. So over the years, I've written and spoken a lot about restrictive eating disorders, what they are in relation now to my understanding of them being an addiction to energy deficit and how to overcome them. And in all the content I've put out, I've always tried to be clear that the content is as applicable to people in bigger bodies as it is to smaller ones. And I really do try to regularly reinforce the fact that someone in a body that is not underweight by BMI is no less sick or eating disordered than a person who does fall into the lower weight BMI category. But I haven't yet made an episode on this topic alone, and so I thought it's about time I did. I know there's those of you out there who are seeking this information, who are seeking this reassurance, and who need to have that reassurance and that support level that, yes, eating a lot of food, getting out of energy deficit, allowing your body to gain weight is all as equally applicable to you, even if you're at a starting point of being in what might be considered a higher weight body than somebody who's in a body that might be at the lower end of the BMI spectrum. Because 
We all know, even the scientists know really, that BMI is utter BS. So in my recently published book, Addicted to Energy Deficit, I've written about restrictive eating disorders affecting people of all body sizes. And in my second book that's just being published this week as well, which is called Aiming for Overshoot, I've included more information and tips about how to manage the additional challenges that come with overcoming a restrictive eating disorder from a starting point of already being in a bigger size body. So please feel free to pick up copies of either or both of those books if you want more information on this. But in this episode, I'm just going to give you a bit of an overview of the very real fact that restrictive eating disorders don't have a size. It's a sad truth that recognition of the fact that restrictive eating disorders can and do occur in people of all body shapes and sizes has been very slow in coming. But this is slowly shifting now. There is now slightly more recognition of the fact that a restrictive eating disorder does not have to equate to complete emaciation. Very slowly, eating disorder professionals are being forced to acknowledge that someone can be just as mentally and physically compromised with a restrictive eating disorder in a plus-size body as someone with a very low body mass index. And the Psychiatric Diagnostic Bible, which is also called the DSM-5 to those in the medical field, has now introduced a separate category for a form of anorexia nervosa, which they've decided to call because, you know, these people, they're, they're obviously quite intelligent and their great minds came up with the term for this separate category of atypical anorexia. Yes, atypical anorexia. And for somebody to have a diagnosis of atypical anorexia, what they need is to meet all the same diagnostic criteria as for anorexia, but their weight remains within or above the normal weight range despite significant weight loss. So, okay, That's a small shift in the right direction. Previously, anorexia nervosa was not diagnosable in anyone with a BMI above 17, which is just ridiculous. But this extra now entry of atypical anorexia to me still doesn't go far enough in the changes that we need to see happen in the medical field, in our eating disorder professional communities. Having atypical anorexia as a separate diagnosis in the diagnostic bible, the DSM-5, it still perpetuates the stereotype, not just in the general public, but in our health professionals as well, that restrictive eating disorders have a look. So there shouldn't, in my mind, be a differential diagnosis between anorexia types, depending on body size. And if there is, Anorexia in someone with a bigger body should definitely not be given the name atypical because the reality is that atypical anorexia is one of the most common eating disorders. So by current diagnostic criteria, atypical anorexia is far, far more typical 
than non-atypical anorexia. In fact, current research is showing that atypical anorexia is thought to be around three times more common than what they call typical anorexia or just anorexia, as in somebody with the lower body mass index. But as we already know that people in non-emaciated bodies who have a restrictive eating disorder are much less likely to be diagnosed at all because they're less likely to go and seek help and treatment because they fear being ridiculed or having that stereotype put on them. We know therefore that this true figure of how common atypical anorexia really is, is going to be much higher than the current figures might be suggesting. But okay, I will give the experts their due course that okay, they have now recognised that restrictive eating disorders can occur, shock horror in somebody with a body that isn't below a BMI of 17. And actually, finally now as well, research is demonstrating repeatedly in published papers that restrictive eating disorders with all the same symptoms and risks can and do occur in people of all sizes. Studies are showing now that restrictive eating disorders in people in the healthy, overweight, in inverted commas, or obese BMI ranges face the same cardiovascular and other health risks as someone at the lower BMI spectrum. And those physical risks of a restrictive eating disorder, no matter what the body size or weight of the person, include things like a low heart rate and other heart arrhythmias, electrolyte imbalances and bone density loss. Females with anorexia in larger bodies are just as likely to experience a loss of their menstrual cycle and hormonal changes. And it's now known that any weight suppression of just 5% below the genetic set weight range is of significance in terms of the medical complications it can create. Because at the end of the day, even that small percentage of weight loss below your genetic set weight range is putting your body into energy deficit. It's putting your brain into a stressed state and your body into a stressed state. And All of that, your body being an energy deficit, being malnourished, being in a stress state, it's going to have medical complications and it's going to have significant psychiatric implications as well. And when it does come to the psychological complications, people at higher weights can be more significantly affected by a restrictive eating disorder than those who are at lower weights. Because people at higher weights with a restrictive eating disorder are found to have greater preoccupation around food avoidance and negative feelings about their body shape and weight. But despite all this evidence that current body shape and size don't equate to how affected someone is by an eating disorder, I'm sure that it will come as no surprise to you that people at higher weights are underdiagnosed and have symptoms for longer with a higher level of weight loss from their set weight before they're actually diagnosed. That's if they are even diagnosed in the first place, because I know a lot of people who come to me have never had that formal diagnosis. It's little wonder then that for years, eating disorder services and health professionals have left people feeling that they need to lose more weight to justify the help that they desperately, desperately need. 
Sadly, eating disorder professionals have been slow to listen to the general eating disorder community and to hear the changes that the eating disorder community have been calling on for years now, and that's removing BMI as a criteria for treatment. But this is why recent publications, such as one that's recently been published in the highly esteemed Nature Journal, that are now backing up these calls for change, are really actually very important. And it can only be hoped that the medical communities can't continue to fail to notice, diagnose and support people with very real restrictive eating disorder symptoms and complications who are in normal or higher weight bodies for much longer. Changes are happening, but like so much in the eating disorder field, especially when it comes to the eating disorder medical community, sadly changes always take far, far too long. But If you are listening to this and you have a restrictive eating disorder, but you're not at a weight considered low by BMI, then please know that you are no less sick, less at risk or deserving of support and treatment than anyone else. The eating disorder affecting you is valid and it's just as critical to address it and to address it in the same way. Because perhaps you are also still wondering, but... I'm in a bigger body. What advice do I follow to overcome the eating disorder? Surely all this advice to eat more food and eat unrestrictedly and rest all the time, surely that's not right for me. And I understand why you have those fears when we live in a world of diet culture and weight gain being a bad thing and having to tolerate all those messages coming from all directions every moment of the day it feels like at times. But from my perspective, when it comes to the information and guidance in both my books, in my blogs, and in these podcast episodes, everything that I put out there, all the information I put out, applies equally to anyone with a restrictive eating disorder, no matter what their body shape or weight. The advice to abstain from restriction and all your addictive compensatory behaviours, habits and rituals is the same, as is the advice to do everything possible to emerge from your current energy deficit state and aim for overshoot. And of course, I'm not naive enough to think that you won't have additional challenges to overcome to do just that. Gaining weight in a world that frowns on weight gain is hard enough for someone who's coming from that lower end of the body size spectrum, let alone if you're starting out at the higher end. I know that you have a lot more challenges to face than some other people do. And I am sorry for that. I'm sorry that we live in this world that puts that on you, that doesn't recognise how impacted by a restrictive eating disorder you are, how much of a state of energy deficit your body is in. I'm sorry that you don't get that recognition by all the people who should be recognising it and supporting you. So in my second book, Aiming for Overshoot, I've also provided some more general and practical tips and advice on how to keep going if you are in the position of trying to overcome an addiction to energy deficit from a higher weight. And I'm going to do another episode in the future to cover that as well in a lot more detail.
But if you want that information now, then please feel free to go out and pick up a copy of Aiming for Overshoot. I know I keep marketing these books and I'm not doing that. Please understand I'm not doing that from a financial perspective. Nobody makes money writing books in this day and age unless you're JK Rowling. These books, I sell them, yes, but I don't make much money from them. Amazon and the other people who produce the book get most of the money that you pay for it. So please don't think that when I'm pushing out my books in these episodes and marketing them that I'm doing so because I'm trying to get the income from it. It's not that. It's that I want this information to help you. And if you think it's going to help you, then please seek it. Go and find it. Read it, digest it, absorb it, and find your life free of the eating disorder. So, as I've said, please know that all the advice I give, whatever body shape and size you're coming from, it's true for you, just as much as it is for anyone else. And that is that you abstain from restriction, you abstain from compulsive movement and behaviours, and you let your body gain weight to your set point, allowing for overshoot. Because even if your body isn't perceived by our less informed society, to be malnourished with a restrictive eating disorder, your body is just that. You are malnourished. You are in energy deficit. And so your body is going to be struggling and it needs to heal. And when you do push into the process of overcoming the eating disorder, going against all that feels right and all that diet culture tells us is right, you will not only find your mental and physical freedom, but you will be one badass superhero that the world should be inspired by as well. But don't do this alone. You don't need to go through this process without support. Everyone needs support to overcome an eating disorder. So please seek the support you need and that you feel will help you best. And then bash this eating disorder out of your life and find out what great things your future really can hold because you are going to be one strong individual when you're on the other side of this. You're already a strong individual now because you are listening to this. You are seeking out information to beat it. So when you have beaten it, you're going to be bulletproof. I hope that's helped some people out there. I hope hope that's helped reassure some of you that restrictive eating disorders, they don't have a size. Yes, there needs to be more recognition of that. Yes, we need the community as a whole and eating disorder professionals as a whole to talk a lot more about that very real fact. But for you right now, the important thing is that you understand that for you and that no matter what your weight is right now, if you have a restrictive eating disorder and you're in energy deficit, you need to eat a lot more food, you need to gain more weight, you need to aim for overshoot. And you need to get out of this eating disordered life that you're in at the moment so that you find the freedom that you crave. I'm Helly. You'll find me on hellybarnes.com and I will speak to you very, very soon. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Feck It Fun Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. Don't forget, eating disorder recovery doesn't have to be boring and doesn't have to be serious. Now go and grab yourself some food and have a fabulous rest of the day.